May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Of course, every month is Mental Health Awareness Month here at ZenFounder. But this month, we are redoubling our efforts via our newsletter, via social media, and here on the podcast to have really helpful conversations about how leaders, entrepreneurs, founders can be well and thrive from the inside out. I spend a lot of time talking to entrepreneurs. And over the years, one of the things that I have seen over and over, one of the things that really undermines someone's mental well-being, their focus, and the productivity within their company is conflict. Conflict on a team, conflict at home, has the power to significantly disrupt even the most focused, clear-headed, disciplined entrepreneur. And conflict is one of the top reasons for people to leave their positions. It absolutely splinters and destroys teams. So one of the best mental health interventions that we can do is help people avoid conflict where possible and have healthy conflict when necessary. So hosting this conversation today is Brooke Bergman-Parr. Brooke is trained as a therapist, but now works with me at Zen Founder, helping entrepreneurs be well and healthy. And Brooke's particular area of expertise or magic really is in relationships. So she works with co-founders, she works with executive teams, and she works with founders and their significant others to help make those relationships a source of support, cohesion, joy, and effectiveness. And just one quick little mention here, Brooke and I are co-hosting a couple's retreat in Kauai in December. So this is for co-founders that are also significant others or entrepreneurs who have a significant other who want to really work on the health and happiness of that relationship. So it's a very, very small retreat. Hit me up if you want some more information or you can check out the information on zenfounder.com. And without further ado, everything you ever wanted to know about conflict with Brooke Bergman-Parr. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. Hello, Zen Founder listeners. Brooke Bergman-Parr here coming at you with another episode about relationships. So today I thought I would talk about conflict the different types of conflict, and how to identify when you might need some outside assistance. So people come to me in conflict usually. And so I, this well, this might sound strange, but I love to study conflict and how to resolve it, what the underlying purposes are, what differentiates good conflict from bad conflict, And what is solvable conflict versus, mm, shall we call, the stalemate? So there are all different types of conflict, but for the purposes of this discussion, I really want to hone in on three 
types. Now, some of this terminology is not mine. Uh, it is borrowed from the Gottman Institute. The Gottman Institute is a group that does research on marriage and relationships. And they've come up with some terminology that I really like. Um, and I'm going to be adding on some other ideas and weaving in some, some of my own thoughts. But for the purpose of, the, of this discussion, I want to use their language first. So the first type of conflict that I want to talk about is the type of conflict that most people don't even aware, they're not even aware that they are having. And that is because it is called solvable conflict. And in the context of a marriage relationship, solvable conflict is usually anything that involves material that really doesn't have an emotional hook for either partner. But the thing is, is that what's emotionally hooking for one partnership might be really hooking for another partnership because of history and both childhood and relationship history. But the solvable conflicts are the ones that you are solving every day with your partner that you don't even realize you're solving necessarily. Maybe there's a discussion around what to do for the holidays and you successfully decide what you're going to do for the holidays without much without much of anything. There might be a little bit of a conflict around what you both want to do, but ultimately in the end, the conflict is solved and you come to a resolution about the issue that you both feel pretty good about. Sometimes solvable conflicts are around the issue of, I mean, maybe practical issues, sometimes even deeper, more emotional, tender issues. You know, maybe one partner is saying, gosh, I really need more hugs. Can you up your hugs? You know, and maybe the, the other partner initially, they're just not a hugger, right? And so there's a somewhat of a conflict or a difference. But if they are able to come to some sort of a solution about that conflict, we would put that in the category of solvable conflict. I can tell you that not many people come to me and tell me about their solvable conflicts, but I like to ask about this because what I want to demonstrate to people is that they are able to solve conflict and that conflict in and of itself is not the problem. It's usually... Mm, how people are going about solving the conflict. In fact, if there's no conflict in a relationship, that actually, to me, as a therapist, is somewhat problematic because that tells me that one or both parties are not really expressing themselves as deeply or as truthfully as they could be, which is the essence of, of intimacy and connection. So that's solvable conflict. <laughs> Seems sort of self-explanatory, but again, I like to highlight it with people because it does demonstrate the fact that they are able to solve conflict, number one. Number two, conflict is not bad. And number three, that, that there is something special about the way that you are solving that conflict versus the conflict that you can't solve, <laughs> which brings me to my, my next uh, type of conflict. 
So the next type of conflict, according to Gottman, is called the perpetual conflict. And I read when I was reading their research on this topic, it it sort of floored me. They said that about 70% of all conflict in relationship is actually perpetual. And uh, as a as a couples therapist, initially that can sound daunting, dismaying, disappointing, sad, hopeless, until we explore a little further what this means. And a perpetual conflict is simply a conflict that really isn't ever going to be solved because by its very nature, it exists because of... Mm, let's say more fixed traits in both parties, okay? So for example, this is sort of a classic one. The morning lark marries the night owl, right? <laughs> or the introvert marries extrovert, right? This, these fundamental pieces of ourselves that tend to cause conflict, right? The introverts always want to go home before the extroverts. The night owls always want to stay up later than the morning larks. The morning larks like to get up and can't understand why the night owl doesn't just enjoy the the beauty of the sunrise (laughs) or whatever else it is that you enjoy first thing in the morning. And the night owl cannot imagine why you would want to miss out on the fun of the night. But those are just some fundamental differences in temperament and personality construction that really, it's not solvable in the sense that you can't change either of those traits. I mean, people can shift. And this is the piece that I like to talk about is that people can shift their tone around these ideas, around these traits They can learn to appreciate the differences of their partner. And the hope is, and I really see this as such a positive sign in relationships, when couples can have humor about their differences, that is really such a positive sign about about this idea of the perpetual conflict. Right. And perpetual means ongoing, which means it will never really end. This is a conflict that will continue for the life of the relationship for the most part. Now, what I like to teach people with the perpetual conflict is essentially just how to deal with it a little bit differently, emotionally speaking. So again, that means humor, it means tenderness, it means compassion. Sometimes it means, you know, holding your tongue when you are annoyed, right? I think holding your tongue is, while I advocate for telling the truth, I also advocate that sometimes you just let it go. And the couples that are able to manage their perpetual conflicts are the ones that really have mm, just a sense of friendship around their partner. There's a sense of, yes, you are different. And yes, we have these conflicts and you see the world this way. And I see the world this way. And we will probably never see it differently. And that that is okay. And that that is okay. And the degree to which you can do that 
you know, is likely an extension of perhaps how you grew up and or how much therapy you have had and how much you're able to tolerate differences. Now, another thing about perpetual conflict, lest you fall into the idea or belief that, you know, these perpetual conflicts might go away if you were to be with somebody else, that is perhaps true. <laughs> but as you might guess what I'm going to say next, you will just have a different perpetual conflict with a different person. You know, I sort of gave the classic example of the introvert versus the extrovert. What's funny is that if two introverts get together, they will have their own perpetual conflict around that or something else. Or, you know, two extroverts might have a perpetual conflict about, you know, certain behaviors out and about, right? Well, you talk too loud and you flirt too much and this and that, right? Like, and there are these things, you know, that we will sort of always have conflict around. And again, different person, simply a different perpetual conflict, and this is why when I when I talk to my dating coaching clients, I really just try to drill home the idea that there is no such thing as a conflictless relationship. It it just doesn't exist. It's more about just choosing what are the conflicts that you will be able to manage, that you will be able to manage. They will never actually ever go away. Um, you will just learn to manage them. Or you will not. <laughs> Which leads me to the next type of conflict. And this third type of conflict is the one that is most likely to send people to me or to another therapist type figure. And that is the perpetual gridlock. Now, I think many of you know exactly what I mean when I say the word gridlock. It's this idea that the conflict almost feeds itself and your move is dependent on the last move, which then cements in the last move before that. And on and on it goes in a vicious cycle that Sue Johnson calls, I, I like how she calls it, she calls it the demon dialogues, which I like that idea because it really articulates this idea that these types of conflicts really go nowhere very fast. And you know that you are in a gridlocked conflict by a lot of features, but the one that I I like to talk about the most is the fact that people ultimately feel pretty alone every time this this topic comes up. And you can almost feel the anxiety in the room shoot up a notch when just the the mention of this conflict occurs, right? You can just kind of feel it in the room when one partner says, well, <laughs> you know, and then they have their complaint and you can feel the gridlock because you can, I can almost see people's bodies quite literally tense up as their partner brings up the gridlocked issue. And I think it's really 
I like to talk about this alone piece because that is really where you you begin to see the disintegration of relationship is that people really begin to just feel so alone in this conflict that they do begin to disengage and detach from the relationship. And so the question is, okay, so what are the causes and the solutions to perpetual gridlock? (laughs) I find that there are a number of causes, uh, but one of the, I would say, well, there's a couple of causes, but one of the big ones is unresolved um, issues from childhood, unresolved attachment injuries that occurred during childhood that your partner is now sort of repeating, okay? So this could look like if you were emotionally neglected as a child, so there is this sort of core wound that you have and in your body and in your nervous system of not being seen and not being attended to emotionally, what might happen is that when your partner maybe checks out a little bit or kind of goes off on their own, you might have this feeling of anger and frustration and or sadness about your partner. Maybe let's say, give the example of leaves on a business trip or something, and you have all these feelings about that. But if you're not aware of the core wound of emotional neglect in childhood, you're going to just complain every time your partner goes out of town and you're going to get increasingly upset and your partner is going to just feel like, I'm not exactly sure what what is actually wrong here. And it becomes a gridlock until... I would say usually, I mean, not usually, one or both partners really understands the core wound that is probably getting triggered in that gridlock, okay? The irony is with, let's continue with the partner who was emotionally neglected, you know, is that the more they chase their partner who is going on these trips, the more the partner who's going on the trips, it begins to maybe even pull away, right? Or they begin to disconnect. They begin to actually do the things that the the other partner is afraid that they will do, right? And so you see how the conflict becomes gridlocked. And the way to solve this particular gridlock is for the partner who, you know, has this history of childhood trauma, which emotional neglect is childhood trauma, to really gain a sense of of the grief of that and their fears around that and to get vulnerable with their partner around that. Now, the hope is that you did not marry a sociopath and that that partner all of a sudden is awakened to the more vulnerable needs of their partner and thereby creating a, let's go back to the first type of conflict, a solvable conflict. Because now we have a more realistic appraisal of what is actually happening. And so that's the thing with perpetual gridlock is that 
the actual cause of the conflict is often hidden. There is some sort of hidden agenda. And so people are saying it's the one thing when actually it is perhaps something even more vulnerable, even more uh, tender to reveal, hence why it stays hidden. Another reason for the perpetual gridlock that I often see is unfulfilled hopes, dreams, and desires. Now, this is actually a really big one because this is really the issue that a lot of couples begin to develop some resentments around. So, for example, you know, maybe there is a hope or a dream that you have. It could be it could be as simple as, oh gosh, I I really want this type of pet. Or I really want to go on this type of a trip or I want to have this experience or I want to transition into this type of a career. And the extent to which uh, the other partner can support the, the dreams of the other partner is usually the degree to which people will feel mutually seen and supported, loved, quite frankly. And it's when... It's when these dreams that go uns- not just unsupported, but unseen and maybe even actively sabotaged. I often see one partner sabotaging the other person's dreams because they are afraid of what will happen should this person become, let's say, even brighter, right? If you are an even brighter light You know, maybe there's a fear of being left, of being abandoned. I see this one actually quite a lot. I think the fear of abandonment is a lot closer to many of our vulnerabilities than than we like to admit. And so you can see how then that would lead to a perpetual gridlock, right? If there is something that one partner really wants to do or explore and the other partner does not support it in both tangible and intangible ways, it can be really, really damaging to the long-term connection and long-term future of that relationship uh, because that is really where resentment begins to develop. Now, the solution to this gridlock is for the partner with the dream to really begin to live in integrity with that dream and to allow themselves to differentiate themselves enough to say to their partner, this is what I am going to do, even if you are not okay about this. (laughs) Now, this is really, this is really the point at which I believe epic marriages are formed. But this is often the place where people, uh, quite frankly, bug out and they say, I can't tolerate the level of anxiety that it takes to really fully stand in my truth, whatever that might be, and face the fear of what that might cost us. And this, I think, is the issue that I I, and my philosophy about relationships, I always say to couples, your marriage, your committed relationship 
is the place where yourself, you have the highest opportunity to develop yourself most fully. And it is so unique in that way because you really face your deepest fears and you get to tap into the deeper truths of who you are. And really the only person, and this is what makes our partner so special, is that the only person that can activate these fears is your partner. That's why you don't fight this way with anybody else, is because nobody else has that special feeling about them than your partner. Nobody else can make you as terrified as your partner. Nobody else can make you feel as loved as your partner. And that is what makes it so tender and so challenging all at the same time. It's why I have devoted my life's work to making relationships healthier, more sustainable, and to support people really becoming the fullest versions of themselves because I really do believe that it is in the safety of our relationships that we we get to become ourselves. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.